Welcome to the inside. It's National Cinema Week, and after a year of struggle, the media and entertainment industry began to pick up speed. The much-anticipated movie version of the hit Broadway musical In the Heights launched across the U.S., powered by rave reviews, while Fast and Furious 9, A Quiet Place 2, and Cruella combined to bring their collective global box office revenues to $500 million. On television, NBC began coverage of summer Olympic trials in preparation for thousands of hours of summer sports coverage from Tokyo. I am Jim Chabin in Los Angeles, and with me is our co-host for this series, Wim Byans. He serves as CEO of Cineonic and joins us live from Brussels, Belgium, where it is evening. Good evening, Wim. Hey, good morning, Jim. Good to see you. Well, uh, the theaters there in Belgium are reopening. What's been the reaction uh, of the industry and also to the public of being able to go back to the cinema? Yeah, it's a good one. So last week, it was really a moment for us to celebrate, right? So cinemas in Belgium opening and like, you know, the, the restrictions of traveling is still there. So we really took the moment uh, to uh, make it a little bit special. And we thought about, you know, how can we do this? And and one thing is that we allowed, you know, 1,000 of our employees to go to the to the movies, right? So, so we gave tickets uh, to them. So that was a great moment. And I think that the, the industry, I mean, the first week did well. But of course, uh, I think that's what we saw in general in Europe. The first week uh, where the ones the cinemas opened did well. We have to see, you know, the, the titles you mentioned, you know, Fast and Furious, Black Widow, how they're going to do. I think they're going to do stunning, by the way, but but they're going to be I important, too. right, for the box office. Um, right. But but it is an, uh, it's, it's a great moment, and we see it around the world, uh, when people can go back to the theater. Well, th- th- this is a week uh, in the U.S. where the major media companies, Disney, Warner Brothers, NBC Universal, or Paramount Plus, are not just uh, in the movie business and selling tickets. They rely heavily on advertising for their TV channels, from ESPN to The Tonight Show to generate income. It's a huge part of the bottom line for every major player. And we wanted to go behind the scenes to know more about how they are doing. And for that, we have the perfect guest. Angela Tizzi is one of the media industry's most respected resources. She serves as president of ECN, the company responsible for managing advertising placement for more than 90% of America's ad agencies and media companies. Angela's team manages placement of a staggering 50,000 commercials on 30,000 media outlets every single day. Few people have a better insight of what consumers and advertisers are doing, and we are thrilled to have her with us. She joins us today from London. Welcome, Angela. Good evening. Nice to be here. Thank you. So, Angela, thank you very much for making the time to be with us here today. My first question is, when you look back over last year, what has it been like as being a big media and advertisement company? Well, it's been a heck of a ride. Um, You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, several categories in advertising just went completely dark. Retail, restaurants, travel and tourism. And even those advertisers that stayed open throughout the pandemic, such as sort of the fast food chains, they advertised less. People were cautious and people were sitting on their cash. Now, we did see lots of insurance commercials and the major consumer packaged goods companies like P&G and SC Johnson and Unilever, those companies never stopped advertising. Um, also in banking, you know, Chase, for example, never stops advertising. But many of these brands ran the same ads more often without a lot of new promos, not a lot of new t- products and new promotions. 
brands like Home Depot for people who are at home and Lowe's, furniture chains, both regionally and nationally. We saw a huge uptick actually in that advertising. But I suppose one that was most significant and had the most resounding effect on the stations as well was automotive advertising. Now, this advertising segment accounts for about 25% of local TV revenue on an annual basis. It's, it's simply huge. And that pulled back almost entirely just to the national commercials you would see for some of the, uh, the big manufacturers. And why did they do that? Is is the people weren't going in? People the were not going were... in in into the showrooms. People were not buying. People were sitting, literally sitting on their money. They were afraid okay. to make an expenditure yeah. at that level. Yeah, right. And they weren't driving anywhere. They weren't driving right? exactly. So, right. and of course, movie studios. You were talking about at the uh, beginning of this. They typically spend over two billion dollars in advertising on theatrical releases annually. That, it's about a half a million commercials we see annually. I'm just talking about the largest studios in, in the United States. But most theaters were closed or they found the consumer stayed away. I mean, if you weren't going to one of the 400 drive-ins in, in the country, you know, most people weren't going out. This is the time of year, as we mentioned, where the major advertisers on Madison Avenue conclude their long-term year-end uh, agreements with all of the traditional uh, advertising platforms like network television and cable, et cetera. What has been the mood this week in New York? Phenomenal. Hope has returned. What a difference really? a couple of weeks can make. On Monday of this week, both NBC and Disney announced they had completed their upfronts. This is extraordinary within a couple of weeks. And they said it was because of all this pent up demand from buyers. Now, this is a process that, Jim, you know this from your background, not only could take weeks, but months to complete. And that's not to say that every network group will complete that quickly. But Fox said they were nearly there and had seen, you know, a, a massive pent up demand for this. So for our audience, we should just explain that the upfronts are the opportunity for the advertisers to fill all the airtime slots that you see when you watch television uh, through the end of the year. And what you're saying is the announcement this week have been pretty exciting because they're all saying that their inventory is being sold out a significant amount of it for the balance of the year. Yeah, the amount that they allot for this, which typically right. represents about 70% of the schedule. So remember, wow. this is annually in the upfronts represents about $20 billion in upfront advertising commitments. So it's astounding. Is What amazes me is that last year, I think people were in a bit of a state of shock and the upfronts went on for a much longer period of time. But for the first time, and this is this is happening now this year, the networks have not had to put on these massive parties and lunches and dinners and bring in the celebrities that are starring in the programs that are attracting media buyers to buy time on those shows. So what has happened is technically it's all happening remotely and yet it's working and it's working faster than it ever did in the traditional uh, negotiations. How do you read it to the fact that the demand is, is filled so fast, right? Why is that you believe? I, I think it's pent up demand that people sat on the sidelines for so long, apart from this, this common denominator that I've been describing to you, that the demand is just there and people are ready to get out. Um, Disney, if this will 
lend itself to this conversation, essentially said that they attributed most of the demand to live sports. Um, you know, and this applied across all of their properties, including things like, uh, you know, college football. So I think that sports and the ability to book people in front of live events is a huge driver uh, behind this. How big of players are the studios and the movies for for advertising? Are they significant in the in the marketplace? They are. I mean, annually, pre-COVID, the studios collectively were spending at least two and a half billion dollars on on advertising, theatrical releases, new releases. When we take a, a look at a blockbuster movie that very easily can cost two hundred million dollars to make, and then they add another hundred million dollars in marketing on top of that, where does that money go? How does that get spent generally? Where do, where do those ad dollars go? Well, now about 14, 15% are in online video, so digital. But television still represents over 40% of that category. And we see a lot of network cable, a lot of network and, cable. And they, and they start Wednesday, Thursday, They right run ads the that say opening Friday or opening Wednesday, coming Thursday, coming Friday. They change the tags leading up. The moment they get uh, something from a critic, it says, you know, uh, and Kenneth Turan says in Los Angeles, you know, you know, one of the best movies this year. So they change those tags in production every single day, and then they're pushing out new ads again, all trying to drive, you know, this this opening weekend, and then on an ongoing basis, um, uh, box office revenue. So, so when Angela is telling us that this is a great, great time for movie advertising. That advertising is absolutely designed to get people to come to the ticket window of their local cinema. Is that is that what the industry needs right now? Absolutely, right? I think we there are several blockbusters which are on their way for the second half of the year, I would say, and they need global advertisement. Uh, so when I hear the numbers, right, the cinemas are spending the money, or the, the, the content creators, I would say, right, the studios are spending the money on promoting their movies. And I think that there's been a lot of discussion, you know, how the dates changing of when a movie comes out or not, right? I think that was the big dilemma uh, last year and the beginning of this year. I think this gives definitely confidence that for the second half of the year, we're going to be solid about the titles coming. But we need that advertisement. I think it's part of, it's one piece of the action, but it's an important piece because getting the movie goes back to the theaters, they need to get excited about the title. They need to say, hey, I want to see this. And then they need to be comfortable and feel safe of their local cinema where they can see it. And we need both. And so so I think this is definitely a, a great step in a, in a good direction. Wim, depending on where you are in the world, advertising in cinema is a significant part of what the cinema owner counts as profit, correct? You no, know, that's right. And I think that what happened in the cinema space is that the reserved seating, which I think is now almost in, in, in many, many places, right? I would say everywhere, but almost everywhere has reduced a little bit the impact of the advertisement because, you know, the, the 15 minutes, the 20 minutes, the 10 minutes before the movie starts, people are in their seat the last five minutes kind of thing. That's been the most, I would say, um, attracting advertisement kind of thing. But, 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 I, it's, um, uh, but it's, still, it's still something which is there, right? When I go to the movies, those advertisements are there. I mean, there, there's still theaters which breaks in the middle and show commercials, right? I mean, they still exist too. But I think that specifically the slots before when people get in, sit in their seat, and uh, before the movie starts, uh, the five or ten minutes before that, those are, are still seen as very valuable advertisement moments, yeah. 
Well, the other part of this is that because we haven't been able to be in movie theaters, we haven't been able to watch trailers. And the most effective advertising for any movie is when I watch the trailer and you you sit before a movie and you hear the trailer and you can hear the audience all kind of collectively go, oh, I want to see that movie or, oh, I'm not so sure about that. So getting people back into the theaters gets that trailer marketing effort going and that pulls me in to see movies, uh, you know, next week, next month. This is National Cinema Week, and the, the industry is trying to get folks uh, to be aware of the, the movie theaters are reopening. Is there, do you think there's a, a push that's needed to get people back into theaters, or do you think people have been sitting at home thinking about taking their kids to a movie? I think that the more the vaccination rate is published in terms of number of people who have their first and second doses, I think the confidence level has gone way up. And that even though there are cases and still an unacceptable number of people dying every day, it is still dramatically changed from January of this year. So I think it's overall confidence. I really do. When I'm out and about, I still see a lot of people wearing masks in stores, for example. Um, but, you know, the theater uh, situation is a little bit different. Our guest insider today is Angela Tizzi. We'll be right back. The Insiders is proudly presented by Cineonic. Cineonic's future-ready enhanced service and technology solutions provide compelling cinema experiences, peace of mind, and financial flexibility. Today, with more than 90,000 projectors installed globally, over half of the world's cinemas are illuminated by Cineonic. Visit Cineonic.com and discover why theaters look to Cineonic to provide the solutions of tomorrow today. Our guest today is Angela Tizzi, CEO of ECN, and we are getting a behind-the-scenes look at advertising spend. So in, in many industries, when, when we get into a crisis, it expedites innovation, right? So tell us, what are the trends that you see emerging and, and what's been initiated over the course of a crisis year like last year for your industry? Well, I think during this crisis, what really happened is that it forced a lot of the traditional um, television networks in the United States to accelerate their streaming and new properties in order to invite media buyers to come in and see a mixture of programming. It caused people to say, we need to diversify faster and get there more quickly in order to offer more to this audience. Um, you know, if we look back and I, uh, over the last 10 years, the number one um, type of advertising that has accelerated is digital. And I think there's something like 86% of U.S. adults are on Facebook. And, and for movie studio, studios alone, 14 to 15% of their budgets are now going into digital. So even though you and I have been on the internet for many years, and certainly email has been around a long time, getting some of these older properties where they are um, advertising various types of services that are part of a mix, I think is what, what has really come into play very, very quickly. You know, thinking about the advertisement spent, we, we know there's advertisement in cinema, there's advertisement in, you know, in many, you know, many dimensions. So I'm just trying to understand a little bit about you know, which role is it really going to play? And, and do you think that the advertisement will stay the same, will have the same value as it used to have? Or you think that's just changing? 
Well, I think the fragmentation of media over the last decade has caused advertisers to try to split up their budgets over a wide variety of properties in order to test and determine how to touch a customer along the journey between awareness and actually buying something. And what we've seen proliferate now are streaming services that are ad-supported so that moving beyond traditional TV, advertisers now have the ability to get access to a mix of audiences, not just a demographic behind a particular program that they think would be the best fit for their for their product or service. So are we moving to a, a of course we are, right? <laughs> are we moving to an environment where even the streaming services start to carry advertising? Without a doubt. There are yeah. all, all kinds of free streaming services. In fact, CBS Viacom has Pluto now. And they even have a new name in their category. It's like fast, um, free advertising supported television. So it, they're popping up all over um, and it, it, it's all ad supported. So HBO Max just announced that they would begin offering an advertising supported channel. HBO has always been a subscription service. And from a advertising standpoint, is this a part of that? that transformation? Yes. Um, you know, right out of the gate in March, uh, Warner Media signed up 35 advertisers and reported it had commitments in, of $80 million in upfront advertising, just right, oh. right out of the gate. And the HBO Max ad-supported service includes four minutes or less um, per hour of ads. It's $9.95 to the consumer. If a consumer is paying for the premium HBO, which frankly I had for years, it's about $5 more expensive. But this means that those providers, those cable providers, or just think of them as carriers, have to come up with about $5 per subscriber to recoup that ad revenue. But what's happened is that HBO Plus, HBO Max, is carrying so much more content. It has all of these Warner Brothers series that for years were very, very popular. It has all the Warner, Warner Brothers movies. So you're getting this huge package of value for $9.95. And they, you know, they had like 45 million subscribers within a month sign up for this because of the content. I, I, so I believe they're evolving this because people are cutting the cord and they want to find a way to still retain those subscribers, but in a different way. How are the uh, the television networks that we all grew up with, how are they doing? What's happening with the traditional media platforms that these media and entertainment companies own? So network TV advertising and viewership has been declining for years. I mean, pre, pre-COVID, pre-pandemic, we'd seen about a 20% drop over the previous six or seven years, while we saw a 75% increase in streaming. Even so, this astounded me. I, I looked this up the other day. There's still about 500 programs, original scripted series on network TV. And the top demographic is adults age 65 and older. Apparently, they watch over four hours a day. So, you know, you're still talking about a tremendous reach through traditional network TV. But an older audience. That's right. The, Much older audience. The second audience, 25 to 34, is the second largest audience, and that's about half that viewing, two hours a day. That's still um, a secondary demographic uh, booking quite a bit. I think bit it's interesting. Yeah. Um, Comcast announced their first quarter results and said that they lost a half a million cable subscribers on their cable systems. 
their broadband services gained about half a million and Peacock hit 42 million subscribers, which is up 9 million over the previous reporting period. So is that a dynamic that all of these companies are, are, are watching? Yeah, this is, this is how the networks have adapted and are thriving in this new level is by creating ad supported streaming services to supplement their mix of traditional programming. You know, what used to be for us on this call, remember prime time, most of the largest advertisers commit eight to $9 billion every year uh, to primetime advertising. That was between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m. Remember that, Jim? Yeah, <laughs> we would yeah. sit down for it. Prime. Um, that's yeah. still a coveted time slot, but this push to digital is changing the focus from the program you watch to the audience you are reaching because the way people have watched and consumed television has changed so significantly. The, the focus is now on the types of audiences instead on the exact time a program airs. So, so if I hear you saying it's going to be more targeted, is that what I would say or I would categorize it? Yes, yes. On, 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 the, on the top 10 priciest ad buys on television, everything except Sunday night football is available on ad-supported streaming services. So the top networks have launched and adapted streaming, not just to attract customers, but media buyers by offering them a mix of both traditional program and what is now known as connected TV. And what's the difference? Rather than selling ads based on the program you're watching, ads are served to an audience regardless of what they're watching. But the ability to do that now becomes much more targeted because instead of feeding to 7 million people watching a program on, on CBS, you're actually getting very, very targeted and saying, I want you to serve these types of ads to this audience. I mean, when you consider that a 30-second spot on Sunday Night Football, for example, is just under 800 grand, a 30-second spot, just under 800,000. $800,000 for a Sunday Night commercial in a football Correct. game. What is a what's a typical network uh, spot during the week? Oh, think about any of these. There are Procter and Gamble things. It depends on the night and on the audience. Um, for sports, you're going to see a lot of automotive. You're going to see a lot of things from AB and Bev and Diageo and. And they will pay on average. Pick a number. Just tell us a number. In those specialized programs, anywhere from a half a million to eight hundred thousand dollars. And on for some of the seconds. other programs, you might see like on. Uh, the, the voice and the mass singer, those generate around a quarter of a million dollars an ad, again, 30 seconds. And even some of the other programs, uh, like, for example, on ABC, this Bachelor that's run for years and Bachelorette, those are still running about 150000 for 30 seconds. So you have specialized programming, right, where people want to insert because they feel confident that their research shows a specific demographic. But now on top of that, you have all these layers and the ability to reach people through various other um, outlets. So it's a mix. That's, that's the main takeaway, is it is really diversified. But if the key verticals in advertising are coming back and they feel confident, especially about live sports, I think, I think we may have turned the corner with it. Let's talk about your Olympics. It's coming up this summer in Tokyo. Right? Tell us a little bit about what will be the role of NBC Olympics you know, how do will that coverage change the equation, you believe? 
Up till March and April of this year, TV viewership remained flat or down for all sports. In fact, it was kind of shocking. Every major sports league posted double-digit ratings uh, losses. The NBA Finals, the World Series reported some of the worst ratings in history. But Turner and CBS said the NCAA March Madness, the college basketball tournament, was the best year they'd ever had. And the Olympics are now targeted, are projected to bring in $800 million in ad revenue. Why, why do you think uh, viewership was down? It's hard to put your finger on it. I, I, I thought it was difficult to watch an auditorium with a sports team playing and no yeah. audience. It's the same right? with so uh, you football. The, you didn't hear the fans. You didn't hear the fans. You didn't hear the cheering. Yeah, that was um, hard to see with, uh, with football, with soccer as well, you know. But the Olympics are coming back strong and and i believe the tide is turning now for all sports the demand for live sports and certainly the olympics will be the cornerstone of that this year and from what we're hearing from companies like disney and the upfronts advertisers are now buying all major sports including things like college football so it's a good question jim i somehow i think it it all lends itself back to confidence, not just about buying, but confidence about what's happening, kind of a lethargy, perhaps, um, you know, that's set in for so many people. I, I, I don't know what to make of it, but the demand, the pent-up demand appears to be back. Angela, do, do, do Google and Facebook continue to take a bigger chunk out of people's ad budgets or is the value of a television commercial so powerful that uh, having something suggested to you on a Facebook page will never quite compare? What are your What are your thoughts about the future of Facebook, Google, and those kinds of services? They definitely are commanding a fifty percent of major brands' advertising budget. Fifty percent. There's no question about it. And, and what would it have been ten years ago? My goodness, I don't. 12 percent maybe yeah yeah fraction of that and that's it it's google facebook and youtube it's all about influencing a consumer and it, this phrase is on the journey on the journey to buy and so you know in a survey with u.s adults people said that when they saw an ad on tv they got online and did some research to find out more information about whatever the product was whether it was a you know a pharmaceutical, a drug, or it was a new car, a particular model, whatever it might be. And in a way, cinema advertising, as you were saying, Wim, I was thinking about this when you were talking about it. In a way, that's the culmination of the perfect time to be running ads from, from that consumer journey standpoint. Because the advertising to that point got someone to come into the theater. But what activates other buys from that could have, have a direct result from seeing someone in that environment as they're absorbing it, as they came out to see it. So I agree with you. I, I'd like to see more uh, from an interactive standpoint. Right, right. And the digital, the march to digital that Angela's talking about is not going to bypass theaters. So those consumer habits that those teenagers who are prime ticket buyers for these big, big blockbuster movies, that phone, their connectivity is a huge part of anyone's marketing strategy. And I would imagine cinema owners are very aware of that and you're working to help them upgrade that, that capability. Yeah, I think that, you know, we had a couple of years back, we had solutions for that. 
what I think is is the good thing today is that that being a couple of years further, that technology moved on, right? So that technology has allowed us to go to the next gens, and also being able to uh, I think hit a different price point. So I think it's going to be more approachable and it's going to be more uh, finding its way within theaters uh, moving forward. I don't think it's the first first priority, but when I think about advertisements, I think there is a, the extra experience to be given. Uh, so I think that the advertisers will uh, will play a role here too to use that media, uh, which can be easily being uh, used within cinemas. Yeah. So we're going from a, a year that was about as bleak as it could possibly be for the major brands and for the media companies that depended on beer, auto sales, fast food, and all of that was not happening to a period where with the announcements over the last week or 10 days, it seems as if we are going into almost a boom in the advertising business, both for the agencies and for the media companies. It feels that way. It definitely feels that way. We'll be talking toward the end of this year and we'll see how we come out of it. But, and it's allowed people to move just looking at the upfront much more quickly. So the demand is there. Let's get this in place. Let's start advertising, see what the return is and have the ability to execute on campaigns much more, more quickly and effectively. Well, Angela, it's obvious that with people going back to the movies, people allowed to go back to theme parks. Our media and entertainment uh, companies are now on the mend. Advertising is such a huge part of their lifeblood that uh, it's it's really encouraged to hearing your report. And it's great to have you as a resource uh, for this community. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Our quote of the day comes from the New York Times review of In the Heights. Critic A.O. Scott writes, In the Heights is a piece of mainstream American entertainment in the best sense, an assertion of impatience and faith, a celebration of communal ties and individual gumption, a testimony to the power of art to turn struggles into the stuff of dreams. And that, I think, is what the best movies do best. Thank you, Angela. Thank you, Wim. And thank you all for joining us. The Insiders is presented by Cineonic and produced by the Advanced Imaging Society in Hollywood. Our executive producers are Adam Castles in New York and Mike Piltzecker in Los Angeles. Brett Harrison produced today's show and our technical director is Matthew Bach Lombardo. This is AIS.